Let us pray. Lord, we come before you and we pray that you would watch over my words. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. We pray that you would watch over all of our hearts as well, showing us the ways in which we need to change, making us desire you more than the things of this world, more than anything that sin has to offer, more than anything else. We pray that you would use this time that we have studying your word to change all of us. In Christ's name, amen. And then John hits the pause button. He's been talking and talking, and then all of a sudden he just stops what he's been saying, and he starts to talk about something entirely different. He starts to talk about this letter as a whole. He start, and he starts all of these little phrases with, I am writing to you. And so he's talking in part about the purpose of the letter. This passage that we're studying today is sort of like a parenthesis. And so John has been talking, 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 then there's the parentheses, and then he's going to start back with the stuff in his letter. And so as John has paused, we are going to pause for a moment as well, and we're going to talk about why John is writing this letter and where we are in the letter. False teachers have come into the church in Ephesus, and they've been teaching some pretty weird stuff. They've been teaching some stuff that John had not taught them that Timothy had not taught them that that Paul had not taught them and we're going to call these false teachers the Gnostics John had a much nastier name for them he called them the Antichrist but most people call them the Gnostics since their beliefs strongly resemble Gnostic beliefs that were beginning to be taught in the church at this time so let's talk a bit about Gnosticism Gnostics believe that spirit is good and matter is evil. Spirit is good and matter is evil. And so this chair is matter, right? Something you can touch, that's bad. See the chair? That's bad. The floor is bad. The building is bad. You know what else is bad? Bodies are bad. And you say, what? Well, it's matter, isn't it? And so the good part of you is the spirit, and then the bad part of you is the material part. Kind of what Gnostics were believing. And so when Jesus uh, came in the flesh, that means he had a material body. Well, the Gnostics didn't have much use for that at all. Uh, they said that maybe Jesus was some sort of an apparition, some sort of a, uh, a uh, hologram, if you will, to use a much more modern term. Uh, maybe uh, he had a body that he could, he could do by remote control, but he certainly didn't come himself in the flesh. No way. Jesus could not possibly have had a human body because matter is bad. The Gnostics believed that they were sinless. Sinless. They believed that they had a special relationship with God that made them completely sinless. <laughs> and people might come up to them and say, well, what, what about that thing that you just did? Oh, that was with my body. And see, that doesn't count. Whatever I do with my body doesn't count as sin. Oh, it doesn't. Hmm. So, uh, 
when uh, John is, is talking about these sorts of things, he, uh, he, he says that they walk in darkness. They're unwilling to obey Christ's commands. They didn't have lives. They were not striving to live a sinless life at all because they said that stuff done in the body doesn't count. They were, in short, immoral. And it seems as though, from what John is saying, that these false teachers that had come into the church lacked genuine love for others. And while that is not necessarily a specific trait of Gnosticism, as we see it as a philosophy in, say, the, the uh, early 100s and 200s, it definitely seems as though it's a case for these false teachers, and by and large, is a case for a lot of heretics. It is a case for a lot of unbelievers. You see, if you don't love God more than anything else, you're not going to love others like you should, and other motives will prevail in your life. And so this sets us up for an understanding for what John is doing in the letter. Uh, he wants to clearly distinguish between Christian teaching and non-Christian teaching. And so he has three tests inside of this letter. One of them I call the test of theology. Do you believe things correctly? Do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh? Because that's kind of important. That's an essential belief. The test of morality. Do you act like you should? Are you trying to obey the Ten Commandments? Or, you know, you're just excusing yourself all the time. And then, the one that's the most devastating of all. Do you really love other people? And when you don't love other people, are you sad that you don't love other people? That's the sort of things that, that John has been going over in this letter. Things that we have already... Uh, seen in, in a great deal and things are going to see quite a bit more you're going to see these three sorts of tests come up again and again and again and so why is John writing this letter he is writing this letter to confront false teachers and then to strengthen them teaching them the things that they need to know and to do and so far he has been just railing against these false beliefs hasn't he if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us that's what he said in chapter 1. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in the darkness. Chapter 2, verse 9. And so John has been confronting these false teachings and strengthening these believers. He's been helping them to see the difference between Christianity and Gnosticism. But there is the possibility, at least, that some people may misunderstand him. There is the possibility that some people may misunderstand him. Some of his beloved children, that's what he loves to call the people in the church. He just loves to call them beloved children. And some of these beloved children might start to look at themselves and say, well, you know what, I'm not perfect. There's times that I don't keep Jesus' commandments. And, and there's times when, honestly, I just can't stand this other person at the church. What if I'm not a Christian? What if John is talking about me? What if this whole letter is written towards me? And so, John, at this point in the letter... He's going to address this issue. At the time that doubt may be coming up in the minds of some of his hearers, a doubt that shouldn't be there, he takes everyone in the church back to the foundations of the faith. 
He's saying, you know, remember how God saved you. Remember what all you have in him. Be encouraged in what he has done so that you can press forward, learning more about him and obeying him and loving others just as he loved you. He wants us to go back to the very foundations of Christianity, to look at what it is formed upon so that we will hold on to our faith and all that it entails. John is very old at this point. Perhaps that's one of the reasons he likes to call people in the church little children. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to imagine something that is not the case. I'm going to, uh, I want you to imagine that instead of this being 2021, I want you to imagine that this is much, much earlier in history and that you, instead of being the Church of St. Andrews, are the church in Ephesus. And I want you to imagine that this old white-haired guy that is standing up in the pulpit is much older, perhaps a bit more Middle Eastern. And I want you to imagine that his name is John. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Remember what happened to you oh so long ago. Remember how you became a Christian. A lot of you have been Christians for a long time. Perhaps it was me, perhaps it was Timothy, perhaps it was Paul that first told you about Christ, told you who he was and what, his did, what he did. But way back then, you believed in the words that we said about him. You believed in our testimony about our witness concerning him. We told you how God the Father had sent him God the Son, to die for you. How he took all of the sins that you had ever done or ever would do and put them onto himself. And how he endured the curse and was forsaken for you and died for you. When he did that, he paid for your sins completely. And, and at that very moment that you believed in him, your sins were washed away. They were cleansed completely because of his blood. And your eternal life began. You're not the same as all those Gnostic fellows. They say that they're sinless. That's not how you began your walk with Jesus, is it? When you began your walk with Jesus, you turned away from your sins. And you kept turning away from your sins. You kept confessing your sins. You have always known that you were a sinner. You have always known that you had this problem, and that's why you have continued to confess. And at the time that you believed, you set your heart on what Jesus wanted you to do. That's the same thing that you need to be doing right now, little children. Hold on to your faith and all that it entails. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. There are a lot of you here who have been Christians your whole life and you're getting pretty old. You know all about Jesus. You know that God the Son was around since the very beginning of the world and even before then. He is the one who has created everything that is and through whom all things that have been created were created. You know that he is 
God. And you also know that he and God the Holy Spirit and God the Father are the fullness of the Godhead. You know that he became flesh and dwelled among us. You know that he had a normal human body just like any of us. You know that he was 100% man. And so he could stand in your place when he was up there on that cross. He could stand in for you taking your punishment because he was a man just like you. You know that he was 100% God, that he was able to pay the infinite penalty that was due for your sin. You fathers, you know your theology backwards and forwards. You have a theology that made you are who you are today. It's the same theology that you learned from me and from Timothy and from Paul, and nothing has changed with God. This theology is the theology that will send you, that will see you through to the end, even into an eternity. Fathers, hold on to your faith and all that it entails. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Back when you first believed, you rejected the world. Do you remember that? You rejected all of those Roman gods that your friends were following. You turned your back on Rome's idolatry, even though you knew that people would make fun of you. You knew that following after Christ was going to make everything harder for you, and it might even make it harder for you to get or to keep a job. But you said that you were going to live differently than all of them. You said that you were going to follow a higher and a better way of life. Instead of living like the world lives, you were going to obey Christ's commandments. You were not going to be like the Romans. You weren't going to lie like they do. You weren't, you weren't going to have sex with just whoever like they do. You weren't going to use violence to get whatever you want. You weren't going to abort your children like the Romans do. You were not going to glory in power like the Romans. You weren't going to try to get away with things when people weren't looking. You rejected all of that. You rejected the Roman way of life. You pledged yourself to live rightly. You pledged yourself to live as God commanded, continually rejecting sin. Don't you dare think that sins done in the flesh don't matter like, like those Gnostics do. You live in obedience. Young men, hold on to your faith and all that it entails. I write to you children because you know the Father. Do you remember what I've told you in the past? I told you, Jesus said, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Who came from the Father? Jesus did. Who reveals the Father? Jesus does. Remember what I said about Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That's enough for us. And then Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. How do you know the Father? 
you know him if you know Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with Jesus, to know Jesus, is to know the Father. The reason that you have a relationship with the Father is because you have a relationship with the Son. They are one God. And since you know him, you should obey him. You remember what it was like when you first believed? Or you remember how you wanted to obey your heavenly father? You were honestly a lot like little kids with respect to their earthly fathers. So often, a little kid will want to please their earthly fathers. And so they'll try to do what makes their fathers happy. That's how you were when you first believed. That's how you were, and that is how you should continue to be. With respect to your relationship with your heavenly Father, do that which is pleasing to him. Obey his commandments. Obey them joyfully. Little children, hold on to your faith and all that it entails. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. When it comes to following Christ, you guys have been doing it for a long time, and it may be hard to remember what it was like when you became a Christian. You amassed a great deal of knowledge about Jesus over the years. You went from knowing just about nothing to knowing tons of things. You know who he is. You know what he did. You know what he wants us to do. And you have gained all of this knowledge. Well, with that knowledge comes a great deal of responsibility, fathers. Just as earthly fathers are responsible for their children, for giving them what they need, for training them in all that they need to know. Just as earthly fathers are responsible for their children, you fathers in the church are responsible for the church. It's not appropriate for you just to show up here every week and be fed. It's not appropriate for you just to show up here every week and sit there in those pews. You need to take this knowledge that you have been given over the years and use it to teach the young men. They are going to be the next generation of spiritual leaders. Use it in order to train them so that you will be sure that they are ready for the job that they know that they are going to be called to do. You are responsible for the next generation. Use the knowledge you have gained also to lead. If you guys had been leading like you should, fathers, we wouldn't even be having trouble with all of these Gnostics. You are the ones that should have been protecting the church's teachings. If you had, known, if you had been using those scriptures that you know so well, then you would have made sure that those Gnostics were not able to deceive the church. To you, fathers, the church has been entrusted. From now on, make sure that everything goes like it should. Make sure that it is prepared for what is to come. Make sure that things go rightly. This is your responsibility with the knowledge that you have been given. Fathers, hold on to your faith and all that it entails. I write to you, young men. Because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one.
you're strong. Maybe not so strong physically, but you're strong spiritually. And even then, you're not strong in yourself, but you're strong because of the one who lives within you. And it's good that you're strong because we're at war. The world, the people in the Roman Empire who are opposed to God all around you, they're not going to be liking what we do. God is light. And there's a whole lot of people here in Ephesus that are in the darkness. God is love. And there's a lot of people around you that love only themselves. God is truth. They believe lies. They eagerly lap up whatever false teachers or false gods wish to teach them. But you are like the soldier on the front line of the phalanx. You have been made strong in Christ. The word of God abides in you. That's the key to the battle. How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Psalm 119.9. How does a young man reject the allures of all of the Roman sin that are all around him? By knowing God's word. You must be young men that are steeped in Scripture. You must use that as you are at war. You have overcome the evil one. I have this book that I'm writing. I think I'm going to call it Revelation. Here's one of the things I say. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Young men, you are going to be bearing witness about Christ. You're going to tell people about how Jesus died for them. You're going to be telling people how they should repent and believe in Christ. You're going to be telling them that that Jesus rose again and he will raise all of his believers on the last day bodily. You're going to be telling them all of, these good, all of this good news from the gospel. And you will be talking about all that Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them as well. And there's going to be a lot of people here in Ephesus and all about the Roman Empire, and maybe even farther than that, that are going to believe you. You see, Christianity is going to be bigger than just Ephesus. It's going to actually go past even the Roman Empire As I've said so many times before, it is going to spread throughout the whole world. You're going to be a part of that on the front line. And so some people are going to believe you, but then there's also going to be other people that do not believe you. Some of them are going to run from the light because they're part of the darkness. Some of them are going to shed your blood as martyrs. But you know that there is something that is even more important than your own life, young men. You know that there is a Jesus who saves men. And you know that there is a world that must hear about him. And you love not your lives even unto death. Young men, hold on to your faith and all that it entails. Thus ends John's sermon to Ephesus. So where are you at? Have you been listening to John's letters and all the things that Jeff has been saying, and have you feared for your soul? I mean, you know, 
All this stuff about whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. That's serious sounding stuff. John's intention isn't to destroy the faith of unbelievers. He's not the kind of a guy who's going to come along and you can imagine a, a reed that has a little tiny, tiny bit of flame up here at the top. John is not the kind of a guy that's going to go and snuff out that little flame that is there. He, rather, he's going to put his hand behind it and blow on it gently, feeding that fire with oxygen so that it bursts forth into flame. That's the kind of thing that he's trying to do. How do you feel about these foundational truths that John has? Is this your faith that I've been talking about? Is this what you believe? Have you repented of your sins? Have you looked towards Jesus for forgiveness? If you have repented, if you have believed, if the foundational truths of the Christian faith are your truths, if you love biblical truth, if you battle sin, if you try to love and you hate it when you hate, then you have absolutely nothing to worry about. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes to strengthen your faith, not to destroy it. Hold on to your faith and all that it entails. Please rise. All of our problems.